So Christmas Day 2018, I was admitted to the hospital and diagnosed with a rare disease called esophageal achalasia, which essentially paralyzes the muscles and neurons in the esophagus so you don't longer have peristalsis. So when you swallow food, you don't think about it. You swallow the food and these muscles and neurons in your esophagus push it down to your stomach and voila, you know, it's like you're feeding yourself. Well, mine doesn't work. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy, folks. It is RJ here, and we are bringing you another wonderful episode with another wonderful guest on the show this week. And we have my good friend, Jeff Harris. Now, at first glance, there is no surprise why Jeff has come ahead in life. He's a former Marine, a super-driven CEO, and just a all-around gun. Man really pursues excellence in all areas. But that's not the whole of Jeff's story, right? So several years ago, he had a debilitating illness that stopped him from eating solid food for more than a year. He had to sleep sitting up and he continues to deal with severe pain. Now, for most people, they would have given up, but not Jeff. Jeff really leaned in. He turned his diagnosis into an opportunity to double down and create healthy habits. And that's the real story here, guys. So, you know, we know this whole piece on post-traumatic stress and that is something that is real and something that we can't ignore, especially within the community that Jeff comes from being the military. But there's also this concept of post-traumatic growth, and it's real. And Jeff really exemplifies this, and we dive deep into a story where, yes, we all understand a man that's already at the peak of his game, maintaining that, you know, is not necessarily something that we would look at as hard. But what happens when it all comes crashing down? How do we then go from there? How do we find our why, develop our how, and create the roadmap to execute in a manner which pulls us back out and makes us stronger? And that's what we're here to talk about today, guys. So I'm going to leave you in the hands of Jeff. But before I do so, I want to read one of our latest reviews from our good mate, Dr. Sean Pastuch, owner and founder of Active Life and best-selling author of Turn Pro. RJ clearly does a great job researching the guests to ask questions they haven't been asked on other podcasts. High-value content with refreshingly unique questions. I highly recommend it. Thanks for that, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks for that great feedback. Anyways, y'all, I'm going to leave you to it. Have a great week. Peace. Jeff, we have arrived <laughs> we are finally here and we are so happy to have you on the show today. How are you going, man? I'm great. And it's fantastic to finally be on the show and uh, having a conversation with you, RJ. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, I very seldomly talk to people that actually know suburbs in Australia, Sydney. Uh, it's, uh, it's a bit of a small world. You actually, are you, are you with an Australian firm? I'm not anymore. I was for 12 years, uh, a company based out of Castle Hill, which is north of Sydney. So I used to spend a lot of time in Sydney. It's probably one of my favorite places to run as far as cities go, because it's just absolutely fantastic. And then, of course, over there, Manly Beach, just anywhere. It's like, come on, go in Australia. I'm running. I'm running. <laughs> That's interesting. Since I moved to Melbourne, I've said to my wife, I've complained that it's a bit too flat. So it's great for marathon road runners. We're going to be moving out to the the, the bush soon, which uh, the Nandanong Ranges was a, a volcano, and it's the one mountainous region around here. So I will be enjoying those runs like I used to in Sydney. So I'm really, really happy to have you. It's interesting how we met and how our relationships evolved. I've come across your content um, on different forums, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, and really have come to appreciate your message and the crucibles. And we're going to unpack that today. So let's talk about you. Where are you from? How did you come up? What's, what's the origins of Jeff? <laughs> the origin story. 
it's big uh, story. It, it's 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 interesting and not. I'm I'm actually from a small farm town in Missouri, which was never even on the map whenever I was growing up. I spent my childhood hunting and fishing. If you were to ask me when I was ten years old, what are you going to do with your life, Jeff? I would have probably said I'm going to be like a a hunter and a fisherman, like have my own fishing show or something. Like I I grew up, I had pet rabbits. I had a pet raccoon. I used to walk on a leash that I caught when I was hunting. I mean. It was like Davy Crockett style. I knew nothing about the world. I never left like uh, people I've worked with in the corporate world are like, you really are from like hillbilly holler. And it's like, I was, which is one of the reasons why I joined the Marine Corps. I just, because I saw this as an opportunity to see the world, do some hard things uh, and, and really figure out what I wanted to do in life. So I went to college for a year after, after high school, knew I was going to join the Corps. I really did it because I committed to my parents. I would go to college and give it a try. Uh, and um, went to the Corps, went all over the world, um, uh, um, went, did all this amazing training, you know, and I'm still in contact with some of the guys I served with on a weekly basis. And that's been 25 years ago that I was in the Marine Corps, went back to college, uh, got my degrees in biomedical engineering, pre-med and mathematics. After being in the Marine Corps, I thought, you know, I think I want to learn how to be a doctor and actually like help people because uh, I was really impressed with Corman and stuff that I was with downrange. Uh, and um, I just fell in love with engineering. And so I graduated in 2003. Granted, I was working pretty much full time going to college and stuff after the core. And um, I was working on some undergrad work, got a call from a company that was based out of Sydney, Australia, Castle Hill, they had an office here, they had 12 offices around the world, and needed somebody to come in to be a sales engineer, because it was biotech. I'm like, I don't know anything about selling. And as I thought about it, I was like, wow, I always wanted to live in Colorado. What if I just did this for two years and, you know, got in some cool hiking, some climbing, you know, some cool adventures, skiing and stuff, and then go back to grad school. I ended up being with the company for 12 years. Every two years I was promoted, went from knowing nothing about sales. Within two years, I was the top salesperson in the company and then promoted to product manager, went on to lead training and development, chief learning officer, took over sales, sales operations, sales enablement. Did some really cool stuff. And then, you know, I'd been there for 12 years and it was just time to move on, quite honestly. And so I left, went to a med device company. My goal is to be a consultant for them, which is kind of how I served because everybody was based in Houston in this company or in Auckland or in, in London. They had offices around the globe. And I served as their chief business development officer and really their scaling up coach. Uh, and I, I managed sales and marketing and customer success and all that and turned the company around. And it was really my first stab at getting my feet wet. It's kind of being a consultant, even though I was in the company. That's how I was treated as the, as I was the, the chief advisor. And so I left there, went to SBI, Sales Benchmark Index, uh, got into consulting and left there within a very short time just because of a health issue and then started doing my own thing, which I'm sure we'll talk about my health issue and the battles I've been through. And, um, and now I've been, I've been consulting companies and my go-to uh, thing that I do is I turn around struggling organizations. That's what I'm called in to do. And and I really serve as an interim executive. That's my forte, although I'll, I'll serve as a scaling up coach. I'll do leadership development, work with Franklin Covey for a long time. Uh, uh, and I really, the last couple of years have been focusing with COVID on cash flow optimization, things like that. But I'll do strategy, execution, you know, really focus on culture change. And I never expected to be doing this on my own. And now it's just kind of exploded where I don't have the bandwidth to maintain the client load that I have where I'm actually trying to scale now and bring people on board to to help me. So it's been a fantastic ride in, in that area. And I absolutely, absolutely love what I do. It's so much fun. That, that's fantastic. Now, it's a, it's a, a, we're going to unpack that now. Um, let's Let's take it back to when you were growing up. So you grew up in Missouri in a remote area. Now you grew up with a twin. Now, can you tell us what growing up with a twin was like? Because I've had some interesting feedback in terms of the benefits and some of the challenges and particularly around competitiveness that arises from having a twin. So can you just focus on that? What was that like? You know, I actually, I, I loved it, quite honestly, because I had a best friend where I had friends who were the only child and they never had like a best friend. I always had this best friend that I can confide in. Granted, as best friends, you do compete a lot. And, you know, there's some there's some heat there. I mean, we we grew up in a small town. We shared a bedroom. 
all the way through high school. So we were as close as you could possibly be. And then when I left for the Corps, um, we were still in contact. I still consider my brother like my best friend to this day. It's uh, like when we get together, even my wife will say, it's like you guys talk your own language. You know, it's like you, 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 you can talk in shorthand, but you talk so fast and about so many subjects and it's hard to keep up with you two because you're just on this whole other level. And it's probably because we, we spent our lives together. Is he like you? Yeah. Is he into the same stuff? He is. He is. And it's, it's interesting. He's a music, he's a musician. So when we're growing up, he was, we, we both were in, in, in music and stuff, playing instruments. I never practiced and I just have to be talented <laughs> and he was terrible. And so he would practice every single day and you know, and, but at the time I was terrible at math growing up. I became an engineer and I'm paid by companies now to use my math skills. It's my forte. And he's actually a professional musician, plays with symphonies, all these famous bands and stuff. And, and so we went with what was hardest for us became our strength. That's what mm. interested us. And as we look back, it's so, it's so amazing. Cause I still, I'll still play the piano and stuff and I'm nothing like him. You know, it's like, it's just fun. It's a fun hobby for me. And where, he, you know, this guy, he gets these amazing gigs and all this stuff was so hard for him. And to this day, you know, he practices and practices and practices. And so I have massive respect for him. And he has been into the same things, um, you know, for uh, when I when I started doing CrossFit and stuff, you know, he was challenged by some of the workouts I would I would show him and got him into it. And actually, there was a time when that guy, you know, he made what I was doing just look like elementary. He'd be he'd be just gotten this phenomenal phenomenal shape uh he's he's not there to this day now after covid and stuff and uh you know he's everybody has their challenges uh but um but it's been pretty impressive you know to see the books that we read i can call him and and say hey i just read x y and z it's like yep i just read the same thing it's like we're on the same wavelength all the time without mm -hmm. even like talking about it it's it's interesting so yeah growing up with a twin i found it um it was it was super cool we played on the same football team. We played on the same baseball teams, uh, you know, whatever it was. When we got into high schools and we started going in different ways, he played football. I played ice hockey, uh, things like that. But there's so much that we do have in common. And even when we're together, folks have a hard time telling us apart. And and so growing up, it just became easier just to say, hey, Harris brother. And so that's what, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what we answer to. And, and your journey into the marines why did you choose the marines and what was your one one greatest lesson coming out of the marines from what you learned there hmm. yeah why i chose the marine corps is you know back when i joined in the early 90s i didn't know really anything about officer versus enlisted i didn't know a whole lot about special operations and things like that which is what i would have probably done at the time with my mindset and i just saw i was like okay well what's the hardest thing i can you can throw at me it's like the marine corps and so and and i and i fell in love with like this brotherhood this strong culture which is such a huge part of my life today as well you know it's like you just hold yourself to this higher standard and once you're a marine it's like you're part of this brotherhood for life it's amazing and that's what really attracted to me and i think the biggest lesson that i learned in the marine corps i learned a lot about patience because it's a lot of hurry up and wait. But the biggest, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was a single lesson. It was lessons in leadership because the Marine Corps is this leadership development factory from the day one that you step onto these yellow footprints and you start going through your basic training, you are put in uncomfortable situations and taught how to lead. And what I've done in my corporate life today, people ask me, how have you, you know, achieved what you have achieved because you were a sergeant in the Marine Corps is like from the leadership lessons and experience that I gained from that. And so to me, that was the most valuable part about being in the Marine Corps was, was what I learned. Mm. And so you're, you, you get out because you, you know, there's the thing about you, Jeff, is you're dynamic in the, in the sense that you, you're a Marine, you know, which you've got the grunt factor, but then you're quite intellectual as well right so you've got this agility and range hmm. you've got range right so there's it's obvious as to why you got out because i think that you would have needed other senses to be engaged 
Probably, Ex right? Yeah, yeah. I got out with, I had the intent actually to go back in as an officer. I was voted like the most likely person that would be back in the Corps in the next four years as an officer. And, and, and I got out because I knew, I just felt like I was on the wrong side of the fence. It was a great experience. But to me, I, 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 and it's interesting because I advise senior officers and former senior officers of the military now with what I do. But to think that I, I learned, you know, when it comes to habits in the Marine Corps, there's a lot of time on your hands, you know, wherever you're traveling, training and stuff. And so I developed the habit of reading. And sometimes I'd read a book a day, depending on where we were and what we were doing. And that turned into my mantra of you got to read a book a week minimum. And then COVID hits and it becomes read a book a week, listen to a book a week. And then when you're training for like ultras and you got all this time, it's like, listen to two or three books a week. You get this time and for decades and you, and you don't think about it because it's these little small, like, um, improvements that you make every day. And all of a sudden you become like this expert, you know, and, and it's not just the theoretical expertise, but for me with the roles that I've had, I've had the practical expertise of, you know, serving in all these different C-level functions all the way down to a sales rep where I could not only apply what I've learned, uh, you know, I could, well, I could apply what I learned, what I was learning to, to the job at hand. And so instead of just learning from a book, it was like, yeah, I get to learn this. I get to go and add value and actually apply this stuff. And that's been my whole life. Um, and, and even to this day, you know, just reading is a huge, huge part of my life. And, to, and one of the reasons, you know, so many reasons why I train and do what I do. But one thing I believe in is that, you know, the body fuels the mind. And so as I get up to, and that's when I will listen to podcasts, I'll listen to audiobooks, even though I read, uh, because it just stimulates my mind and I can learn so much more while I'm doing it. And yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's these little habits that you develop that ultimately define who you're going to be down the road, quite honestly. Mm, and in, in the Marine Corps, were, was the, did the intensity of the situation drive the best out in everyone? And did they help you to define those habits? Or did a lot of people still travel with some of the bad habits and uh, the way that they were operating previously to getting into the Marines? Like, did the Marines have innately a way of transforming everyone or was it really like in life in civilian life there's just a variety of people with capability and you know intentions like what was your view on what's your view? yeah you're you're right on you know it's it, not everybody comes out the other side completely changed you know it's like there's no perfect culture there is a strong culture in the marine corps really depends on what the unit what unit you're with and the level of standards and performance that are are expected and so, yeah, there was most, most of the team that I was served with, which I was fortunate to be with the same team for pretty much four, well, three and a half years after we got through all our training together and all these different units have all gone on to be, you know, super successful in what they do, uh, and which, which is just fantastic. But no, it's, uh, you know, it's every culture is, is, is challenged. You know, there's people that are going to go in and just do, do enough. And to me, that was never good enough. It's like, whatever the challenge was, it's like, you know, I had this Ricky Bobby uh, kind of philosophy. It's like either you're first or last. And it's like, I'll be damned if anybody's, if you're going to beat me, you're, you're going to, you're going to have to let your soul bleed a little bit. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to tolerate it. And so the harder the challenge, you know, is, was better for me because it's like, I'm going to earn this paycheck. I'm going to earn this day. It's like, I want to leave every ounce of potential on the table that I can, uh, you know, as I go through this and give it my all serving my country. And I still have that same philosophy today, I believe. Part of me, I train because I think I have to earn my title. I have to set this standard. And, you know, people look to me as, oh, you know, there's a saying, you're a former Marine. It's like, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a veteran Marine. It's like, I still earn that title, you know, every single day. Today, I just finished a 12-day challenge of cycling 30 miles in the morning, running three miles, and then doing 300 thrusters. And today, I finished that 12-day challenge with wearing my 20-pound vest, because why not? You know, screw it. So... And it was actually my best day. Uh, but, um, and that was just a small, ch I, I called it my, my mid October suck fest, you know, just lost the mind. And that was, it was not about growing stronger. It was, do I have the self-discipline and the mindset to endure these next 12 days on top of my crazy, you know, schedule in the, in the corporate world and get, th and 
get enough sleep, get enough nutrition and coming out the other side, it's like, what, what did I gain from it? It's like, my mind has been calloused. It's like the strength and everything else is kind of like a byproduct. That's my mindset. Mm, it's that it, it's, we were talking to a Mark divine about that from the seals. It's that earn your Triton every day, yep. right? Like it's that same philosophy and you set your own bar. So I want to move into your business journey, right? So let's talk about how your military training has shaped how you operate in the business context. And then I want to move into what your view is on consulting versus being in industry, because there are a lot of our, a lot of our audience are in industry considering going into consulting or vice versa. And I want to get and unpack that from you. So let's focus on the first piece. You've now carried this, you know, this Marine mindset into corporate. How has that enabled a competitive advantage for you? And how has that helped you deliver to your clients? Yeah. So that's a, it's a great question. And gosh, there's so much to it. I think, Number one is you can't take somebody where you haven't been. And to just get out of school and to, and to get a job, you know, in the corporate world, you probably haven't been subjective to these leadership challenges. And I got news for everybody. If you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not leading. In the Marine Corps, you're going to be pretty damn uncomfortable. You know, uh, it's uh, you're put in situations where it's like, wow, I'm in charge of all of this in these people's lives. And you almost feel like an imposter sometimes. Do I have this? Do I have what it takes? And, but there's, there's, um, when it comes from, you know, transitioning from the Marine Corps to the corporate world, which, you know, that wasn't immediate for me because I was back in college and I had every odd job known to man that you could possibly do, uh, to, to get through it. Uh, it was, um, you know, it, it comes a lot down to character. You know, and, and that's one of the big focuses in the Marine Corps is your character development around integrity, you know, having your commitments, um, um, and being able to endure our hard times and stuff like that. And a lot of it's focused on self-development. It's it's never believing for one instant that you have arrived. And I think I that was something that I learned in the Marine Corps was never finish you. You know, it's like because your every team is a direct reflection. The results of that team is a direct reflection of the leader. And when I go into a business as a consultant, a lot of times it's very easy to see. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like, what's going on here? Well, we had 80 percent turnover in the last few months. You have a leadership problem. People quit leaders. It's like, yeah, the sales team is underperforming. Boom. Who's in charge here? This is the you know, it all falls back on the leader. And so you learn about this. You know, it's like this extreme ownership from Jocko mm, Willing. It's so, mm. so true where it's, you are ultimately responsible for the development and the performance of your team. You have to, it's your job to elicit every ounce of potential of your team every single day. And you have to be the leader that you would follow. And in the Marine Corps, one of the biggest, you know, the most powerful form of influence is leadership by example. So you have to be the leader you would follow. And you have to be asking yourself every day, it's like, would I follow me you know, right now. And I can tell you the hardest leadership hat that I ever wear is being a father. You know, you're a father as well, you know, cause you're not dealing with fully functioning adults. And sometimes I'm like, Whoa, maybe I wouldn't have followed myself in that situation, but you almost become like, you know, this, um, directional leader where you're, you're, you're kind of dictating what needs to be done because you're constantly clarifying expectations, uh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> and correcting and coaching. It's like you're going from training, mentoring, coaching, and you're just circling through those things and you're trying to maintain your patience, you know, and that's, <laughs> and, and that's another thing too, is, uh, you know, it, it, it's a small lesson, but it's, it's so, so crucial is it's just to be patient um, with people. And that's something I learned as well. It's um, and, and even now as a consultant, it's like people are not always going to, you know, move, to develop it in your pace you know you gotta you gotta come alongside them I'm trying to think I didn't just know. on that though jeff just because mm -hmm. so, i know how you roll given you're so action orientated when you're operating as a consultant you can see that what you're you know what you're um you're recommending or 
the direction that you and the leaders have chosen to go, those leaders aren't implementing. How do you handle that? Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support of the Ultra Habits Show. It's through your support that we've been able to scale this thing so quickly and so strong over the past year. And we're truly grateful for your continued support. If you haven't already, please go to www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe. You'll get cool information, insights, and be up to date with everything we're doing. And also, if you haven't, please rate this podcast The link is in the show notes. When you do this, you help us scale our message of ultra performance, ultimately helping us create more impact with our tribe. Anyways, we're going to leave you back in the hands of our wonderful guest. Whenever I'm I'm advising them and they're not implementing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, it's it's so, so crucial. So you have to have buy-in from the senior leaders in the company, whoever hires you. Sometimes the board hires you, so you got that backing. So that's a little bit different of an animal. You have to create your guiding coalition and just keep over communicating. And when folks aren't following along with, like I'm implementing some processes now with a company, we have somebody who just doesn't want to play along. Guess what? The culture is determined by the behaviors that leaders tolerate. And so it's pulling those leaders aside and saying, what's the message that we're sending here when everybody here is doing this except for, you know, this fellow over here? What's that doing the culture? What's that saying to the changes we're trying to implement? And it's saying that it doesn't matter. You know, this is probably the the new flavor of Kool-Aid for the week. And, and to me, it's not. And so it's nipping that in the bud really quick. It's pulling those folks, you know, to the side and asking them what's going on. It's like, do you understand, you know, what's expected? What are your expectations of what we're trying to do here? You know, what are your thoughts around it? And sometimes, you know, it, 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 what I do, it's helping to make sure that a company, a team has the right players in the positions. You know, every company has a salary cap when it comes to maximizing, you know, their, their staff. And coming from the outside, it's kind of like looking at, you know, a sports team. Maybe it's a rugby team, you know, in Australia, maybe it's a American football team here. What are you trying to do with your salary? It's like, you're trying to maximize your salary cap to get the best people in the best positions. And, and, and um, what, what I try to help companies to, to realize too, is that you, you hire slow and you have to fire quick. Unfortunately, some people need to be helped along to find a new sport because they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not adding the value to the team you know, and what they're doing is they're causing a lot of friction as well, because they're not, they're not falling into the culture of, of the changes that you're trying to implement. Cause let's face it. When I, when a consultant comes into the company, what are you doing? You're driving change. And so getting everybody on board, reminding them of why, but you always do have those folks who are going to try to challenge the system, who are going to be the just enough employee. And, you know, maybe that's fine in certain areas of the business, but at the senior level, you know, you have, you got to have, you got to have the best people that you possibly can, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise it's, it's not going to work. No, it's, uh, it's very insightful, Jeff. I'm sure the, the, the listeners will take a lot from that. So I'm going to pivot this conversation to some more personal stuff. So you're in the consultant world, you're doing your CrossFit, you're kicking ass and you're doing the, uh, the super dad thing. And you start to get sick. Now let's let's talk about this journey. What what this is your next crucible? What what's yeah. what, what's what's happening here? Yeah. So Christmas Day, two thousand eighteen, I was admitted to the hospital and diagnosed with a rare disease called esophageal achalasia, which essentially paralyzes the muscles and neurons in the esophagus, so you don't longer have peristalsis. So when you swallow food. You don't think about it. You swallow the food and these muscles and neurons in your esophagus push it down to your stomach and voila, you know, it's like you're feeding yourself. Well, mine doesn't work. And then this disease also causes a severe stricture in the lower esophagus. So think about the size of a cocktail straw. And so the entire year of 2018, granted a decade leading up to this, every time I would eat food, it was very painful for me. And I would drink about a gallon of water, you know, liters of water. Uh, just trying to get this food to go down. And then in 2018, the entire year, everything that I would eat would come back up and it would come up and it'd be like, it looks like I just chewed that food. And when I laid it down at night, I would just cough and choke and I'd get up and I'd vomit again. So I'd be, I started to become like just scared of eating, 
when I'd go out into the mountains and go climbing, I wouldn't eat because I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to choke? And this eventually led me to, in late November 2018, I developed a cough. And it turns out once I got to the hospital, because uh, I had collapsed on Christmas morning just from extreme exhaustion and the fact that I, I just couldn't take in any food, it was it was all I could do to take a sip of water and it felt like I was going to drown. And what had happened was my esophagus, this disease had caused this stricture to finally you know, tighten up my lower esophagus. And so every piece of food I was putting in, if it wasn't going coming up back up, it just compacted my esophagus to four times its original size. Fluids were draining into my lungs, which caused aspiration pneumonia. And when I checked in, doctors said they would give me 24 hours to live if I was the average American. And like, thankfully, it's like you're super fit. And that's obviously a runner. It's like you have an, you have the chance to pull through this, but we, you know, we got to go to work on you. And so I was in the hospital for a week uh, trying to recover. And that's when doctors told me, by the way, we you've been diagnosed with this disease. I'm like, okay, I don't, I never got this memo. What are you talking about? And so they told me um, I'd have to go home and be on a liquid diet for 10 days. This is, you know, during the holidays here. So that was challenging. And I looked at it as like, okay, well, 10 days, this will be a good reset for the new year. And 10 days go by, I go back to see a specialist because this disease is so rare. One in a hundred thousand people get it. There's a couple doctors here in, in Colorado that perform the surgeries and they tell me, okay, Jeff, you're going to have to have surgery. And they told me what the surgery is going to be. It was going to be pretty invasive, long recovery time. And you're going to have to be on liquids until then. We can't get you in until April 17th for the surgery. And I'm like, whoa. So you want me to live on protein shakes and vegetable juice until April 17th? And this is like January, you know, 5th. And they're like, yeah. So driving home that night, I, uh, I get, I let myself, you know, just kind of process those emotions and be sorry for a little bit. And I told my wife, I'm like, tonight, I'm like, I, I just want to be able to process this stuff. I'm going to have a good cry. You know, this is really hard for me to accept. And tomorrow I'm going to, I got to figure this out. And so that was my mantra through that. It's like process the emotions and then cut it off focus on moving forward. Don't ask yourself why this is happening. And so I ended up leaving the consulting firm I was with. I called the partners and said, look, I got to have this surgery. I'm living on liquids. I'm like, my brain isn't really functioning, you know, because I'm not getting the right nutrients. And, and I had to sleep in a chair because if I laid down, I'd cough and choke. So I slept in a chair, which would end up being an entire year. And um, my back went out in multiple places. So I went from you know, running, doing all this stuff to, I could barely walk up a flight of steps because I had no lung capacity. We live at over 7,000 feet here in Colorado. And because of the pneumonia, my back was out multiple places. So a month goes by and I'm slowly getting better, being able to walk and all this. I get a call from a company in New Zealand about an interim CRO, CRO, CRO role, chief revenue officer to turn around sales, marketing and customer success. And it's a contract. And I talked to the CEO, I'd worked with him before, I've done a lot of work in Australia, New Zealand, told him my situation. And he's like, he reminds me, he's like, Jeff, he's like, I know you. He's like, this will give you a purpose again. It'll keep your mind off of the fact that you're starving to death. And you'll figure out a way because you're going to be like, oh, I got to lead this team. And he was right. I thought about it for a few days. So I was like, okay, boom. I was like, let me start, let me start my own little company here. Do this once, then I'll go back. And that turned into multiple engagements uh, with CEO roles, every type of C-level role you could think of over the last few years. But yeah, that year of being sick, April came and I didn't have my surgery or my surgery because American Health Insurance pulled the plug. And, you know, and that day was, it was, it was one of the most challenging days of my life because the it was April 15th. I was going to have my surgery. I think it was April 17th. And so we had our life planned out. And I just figured I had to survive this little few months and I'd be okay. And it was hard. It was beyond difficult because the drink, a protein shake for me, it was like trying to drink through a titration device. So I had to stand over a sink because every few drinks I'd spit it up because my esophagus would get full. So it took me like 45 minutes of standing there, you know, trying to get this thing down just to get some nutrients. And, and I'd lost all my taste buds. You think about your esophagus being clogged up. It's like this clogged up you know, sewer pipe, all the exhaust is coming out of your mouth. So I had all these problems. It was, it was, it was disgusting. Uh, but, um, but then, you know, I kind of, I went and did this super hard workout that day just to kind of channel my frustrations. And I came back and I was like, you know, to my wife, I was like, I was been focused on the short game. I was like, I just got to let go of the process. It's like, we're going to battle American health insurance. 
instead of just merely surviving on liquids, I'm going to learn how to thrive. I was like, I want to figure out what I can actually accomplish. And I had read Rich Roll's book just a few days earlier on Finding Ultra and looking at like these amazing smoothies he's making and stuff. And I'm like, okay, there's options on the table here. How do I optimize the nutrition and actually and go and become like a, you know, the best athlete I can to show other people that you life isn't over because you can't eat while we're going to battle health insurance. Uh, because to me, I told my wife, I was like, American health insurance is doing this to other people. They're doing it to us. I was like, we have the financial means. We have the leadership and business acumen and, and sales acumen to actually battle this thing. And I was like, and I have the fortitude and mindset that I'm not going to quit. And so we figured it would take six months. Well, it did. And then to get my surgery scheduled and have, have the surgeries, I ended up going through three because my esophagus was in such bad shape. And I fasted for 40 days on apple juice and Pedialyte during that time which was eventually taken away. And then the last seven days, I just lived life on an IV in a hospital to keep my esophagus clean so I could have the final surgery. And um, living on protein shakes for, you know, 300 something days leading up to that was actually a piece of cake to all of a sudden, hey, you can only have Pedialyte and apple juice. And then, oh, you can only have Pedialyte, Jeff. And then, by the way, we have to take this away from you. It's like, okay, what else are you going to take away? <laughs> just, just on that, Jeff, <clears throat> there's a critical part there where you reframed the circumstances right like you you created a crucible out of a very very negative situation and i think that's a massive massive learning for people how how do you think you had the wherewithal to reframe that like where does that come from because i'm interested in trying to <clears throat> it's very nuanced obviously mm -hmm. and there's probably many different factors but i think our audience understanding what skills you used to reframe that is critical yeah so uh, there's quite a few number one is is accepting reality in, and immediately, I, my mantra was, don't ask why this is happening to you, because that's just going to trap you in the past. You have to focus on moving forward and just accept that life, you know, version one, that's over. It's like, it, it, and to me, I was like, what if life version one, when I could eat food, was just a rough first draft of what I could actually accomplish by not eating food? And so it was a matter of perspective, but it came back to number one. That, that was number one. Number two, though, it came back to Viktor Frankl and his mindset, you know, man's search for meaning, which I had read and I had taught this stuff through leadership courses, you know, over the years. And, um, you know, his whole thing was about choosing your attitude in any given set of circumstances, you know, and to me, attitude is everything. And I believe it's the most important choice we make each day. And I was going to I wanted to set the example for my kids that when you're going through hard things. You have a choice when you're having a bad day. That bad day is a matter of perspective on how you look at it. And so I wanted to embrace this, this crucible as an opportunity to learn and grow and to become the best version of me that I possibly could. So I started off by just having an attitude of gratitude. One of my habits for the longest time is I, I start off my morning with a gratitude journal. Well, during that year, that became a gratitude walk because I'd wake up, my wife is cooking bacon and eggs. That's the most intoxicating smell. You know, it's like, oh my God, you're, 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 you're killing me here. And so I would, I would have everything set up like I do every day now to work out and stuff to where I could just get up, get my clothes on, get my shoes on, grab my coat and go for a walk and start off by just being thankful, you know, just be in the fight and going through. It's like, well, I'm thankful. I get to, I get to be with my family today. I get to serve my clients. And I just go through this list for about a half hour in the mornings. And that would help me to re, you know, get my perspective right that it was going to be okay. And I also, you know, the thing I had to do was let go of the end game and just focus on the process. And so you, you'll, you know, you'll see me cause you follow me uh, on things. And I say this all the time. It's uh, it's like Ryan Hall, you know, Ryan Hall, the runner, uh, you know, his book is run the mile you're in. I actually just come across his book last week and listened to it. It was fascinating because I was saying that all the time through that year is just run the mile that you're in, just focus on the day right now. 
let go of what's going to happen. You know, it came back down to, you know, having, you know, good to great is, is a fantastic book by Jim Collins. And he talks about the Stockdale paradox where, you know, James Stockdale, he endured seven years of captivity as a POW. And he said, uh, you know, that a lot of the, the, the POWs that didn't make it were the ones who were focused on the short game. Like I'm going to be home by Christmas or the 4th of July. Over-optimism. Yeah. Overly yeah. optimistic. Yeah. 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 And so I never knew when that was going to happen for me. And that was my mantra is just like, to stay focused on the process, dude, you know, just like do what you can today. Just keep going through your daily routine every single day. And, and so I did, and I never lost, you know, this unwavering faith that I was going to prevail in the end, but I had to have this discipline to just confront the brutal facts of my situation because things digress during the year, you know, it's like things got really bad where it was too difficult for me to swallow. And I'm not doing, I was doing Olympic, Olympic distance triathlons because that's about what my nutrition would allow me to do. And, um, and, and you know, it, it was a lot. Of, it was it, it was just fun for me. It was just like a way to, you know, to let out some frustrations and stuff like that. Uh, but it got to a point where I couldn't really swallow. So I, whenever I would go, I'd go spend time in the mountains and climb and and things, and I would travel. And before I would do any of that stuff, I'd go to one of the local IV you know clinics here and just get an IV with like all of these you know vitamins and stuff and like be supercharged because I knew it's like, if I could keep myself hydrated, I know I can go without food because I've, I've been doing it for as, as long as I can remember. And so, and another thing that I learned that I think is important for your listeners is you have to own your struggle. You have to take full responsibility for the circumstances that you in, that you're in and realize that the only person that's probably going to get you out of the valley of suffering that you're enduring is you. You know, and you're going to surround yourself by amazing people because you have to have the vulnerability to ask, know when to ask for help. And I had to do that during that year. I had to ask my wife to help with battling insurance because I was too close to it. And it's very frustrating. And um, and to me, there's there's a difference between have a victim mindset and a warrior mindset. So victims, they always see failure as a sign to stop at everything. Whereas to me, it's like, I see, I see struggle. I see crucibles, I see adversity as an opportunity to really learn and grow and discover, you know, the deepest levels of, of yourself. And, and I, I, you know, I think, you know, the victim mindset is seeing discomfort as something to avoid. And I'm like, no, it's like, to me, I'm going to lean into it. Because to me, discomfort, it's a part of growth. And I believe greatness hides on the other side of pain and suffering. And you're going to have to let your soul bleed a little bit if you want to discover what that actually is. It's like, and it and anyone that knows you and, and uh, follows your work will know and learn that super quick. So you, you move through this and you're now, you're well now. What are, what are, what are some of the things you're up to today in terms of the training and your work? And what are some of the key habits that you use to support your framework for living daily? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just start with the habits one, because I think everything else kind of, you know, cascades from that. I have a set discipline morning routine and an evening routine, because to me, it's like, as you begin your day, that's how you craft your life. And so I wake at 430. And then I, I, I immediately, you know, do my prayer, my devotional. And that's my religious part. And then I, I go to my gratitude journal. And I write down at least three things that I'm grateful for. And it can never be the same thing from, you know, the day before. It's like, you have to be creative about what it is. And, um, and then I, I immediately go into my training routine, which to me, I start off, I've had a lot of back issues. So I start off with a 10 minute plank. Sometimes it's 15. Uh, nowadays, it's typically 10 just due to time. And I will watch motivational videos on YouTube, or I'll listen to podcasts or audiobook motivational videos to me is like feeding the good wolf. It's like, it's getting me like fueled up because I don't eat breakfast. I intermittently fast until like 11 or 12. So my workouts are all in an empty, empty stomach for health reasons, but also it's, I find the body just, just runs. And the further you go, it's like the, the better it actually runs. It's amazing. So I do that. And then I do uh, yoga, just 10 to 15 minutes of yoga and stretching. And then immediately I'm uh, 60 to 90 minutes uh, uh, of, of training. And so my morning now for this month is I'm on the Peloton for 90 minutes. That's my warm up. And then after that, this month, I'm, I'm kind of just doing the same thing this month. It's almost like a recovery month from running. And then it's run three miles and then doing a 
a challenge with which a bunch of folks. One of them is Joel Neem, who I know has been on this show. So we're doing 5,000 thrusters this month. I finished mine this morning. Uh, and uh, so, yay, I'm done for that. So now I'll finish my... <laughs> Did you win the challenge or something? Well, well it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a race, but uh, my goal this month was to cycle 900 miles and run 100, which running 100 is pretty straightforward. The cycling takes the most time. And with the 5,000 thrusters on top of it, though, it's like, it takes takes a bit of time. You know, that's like two, two and a half hours of training each day. And so that's my morning. And then I take a shower, uh, which is a cold shower. You know, first I, I start off with the hot and uh, and then I go to cold and I stand in there for a couple minutes. And that's how I start my day. And then in the evening, to me, training hard is the tip of the iceberg. It's all about having proper rest and an active recovery cycle and proper nutrition. So my nutrition is dialed in because of my my disease that I have, which is there's no cure. Yes, I can eat food now. I eat soft food. I had surgeries and all that stuff. And I went 365 days with never eating a bite of food and sleeping in a chair. And now I sleep in a bed and it's it's amazing. Uh, but my evening consists of typically what I like to do, because when I find in the corporate world, you know, you have, you have all, I have all these conversations all day with my clients and and I'm not always here in my office, you know, as I go see clients and it's, it's very draining to listen to people. And then you're called in because you're supposed to be kind of like, you know, the surgeon, Hey, I have this problem. I need you to fix this right now. Give me the advice, Jeff, just give me this nugget. So you're trying to solve these complex problems for these folks. And it can be draining on you. And so to switch from that to walking into your family and saying, hey, how's your day? I can't do that. And mm. so during COVID, I developed this routine of at 5 o'clock. That's when I end my calls, 5 p.m. with, with clients. And I, uh, I take either 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how much I train that morning, to either run or cycle, do some sort of physical activity. Sometimes it can be a walk with my wife, but it's it's just a time to decompress and recharge and think about all the things I did that day. Sometimes it's in total silence. And then I take a, a Epsom salt bath. And then after I do those two things, then I can come down to my family and say, tell me about your day. And it's my way of switching gears and having these day tight compartments so that I'm giving them my best self. Mm-hmm. And then that evening I will go through um, the, in order to do my training. I'll do, I'll use the massage gun, you know, I'll jump on the foam roller and make sure I get sleep and I get every, all my, you know, stuff, my, my clothes and every equipment set up for the next day for the workout. So that when I wake up at four 30, all of that stuff's ready. It's just, boom, you know, you're going. Uh, so that's my, my, my routines that I do morning and evening and I don't miss them. You know, it's like, if I'm traveling. My travel is based around that stuff. It's, it's going to happen. And so the things I do now, as far as training, well, as far as, as far as my work, um, I, I consult companies um, with, you know, scaling them up, turning around struggling organizations that might be, you know, in some sort of cash crisis. I help organizations with cash flow optimization. Strategy, strategy and execution is are, are, are some of my key strengths, just getting a company focused and aligned around a strategy. And that's, that's fun. But the real challenge is actually how do you execute on that strategy? <laughs> and, so, and so that's where I come alongside them. And help them and i love it because it's kind of like why is the fish the last to discover water because they're in the fish tank and i'm outside of the fish tank so i'm help to raise their awareness so they think and behave in different ways and i bring organizations you know the best practices from bigger companies that i've worked with because uh, every company you know they think and behave in certain ways and when you're scaling whether it's to a million 10 million 20 million 50 million 100 million there's ways that companies operate and it's helping to, to raise their awareness on, on how they're operating. And one of my specialties, having worked and led in sales teams globally for as long as I have, is sales and marketing effectiveness. So I'll help organizations with their CRM implementation, uh, sales process, sales comp, you know, all that account segmentation. Uh, and, um, and, and then I just do a lot in data analytics. So... One of the one of the secrets, RJ, of me is I'm I'm actually on the spectrum. So when it comes to math and data, it's uh, it's my forte, and so it's a uh, it's a lot of fun for me to sit here at night and you know get some data from a client, and and just bring it to life, you know. Because here's here's a little newsflash: spreadsheets and pivot tables are in black and white. If you want to see your company in HD, that's what I'll help you to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a lot of fun. And and now my um, my consulting business, which I was just really a, a stopgap you know, to, as I was enduring this health crucible of my life has become this 
has grown so much that I have not taken a day off of work in as long as I can remember because I got so much work to do and recruiting folks to come in. It's like, I need you to help with this and help with this. And, um, and so now I'm to a point though, where I'm confident because I had somebody tell me years ago, you should start your own consulting firm. And I didn't believe them. And I'm like, you know what? I can do this. Uh, I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, I, I, man, Jeff, you can, you can do anything. Like, I mean, there's, you, you know, the articulation of your process right now was one of the best I've heard. And your range is incredible. Um, and you're, you're a good dude. And, um, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in what you just dropped, especially for, you know, the, the corporate athlete, as we like to talk about on this show, trying to manage and mitigate, you know, and oscillate between corporate business life, parenting, and all those unique challenges that happen when you're shifting gears, right? Like it's, it's, it's a you're in corporate, the demands of an athlete are there when you're at the top of your craft, yet the expectations are different as well. When you come home that you, you know, you're going to operate and be present and effective. So, um, I think we'll wrap it up there though, Jeff, I really, really want to thank you and appreciate you for coming on the show, sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your experience with us really, truly uh, appreciate it. And just before we go, um, I know you hang out on LinkedIn. Are there any other places we can find you? Yeah. Link- about the business or. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm in the process of finally building my website. Um, but for now I'm on LinkedIn um, Instagram and Facebook you can always follow, um, you know, find me on there. And regardless of who sends me, you know, um, a message or whatever, it's like, I, I'll get back to you. So sometimes it might take me a little bit, but uh, I, I'm not above anybody. It's uh, I love connecting with folks. It's fantastic. And for years, you know, I've been asked, why don't you have a website? I've been focused on delivering results for the last three years and I've stacked up a lot of them. And so now I'm like, okay, um, now I can go about and, you know, make that happen. That was never a priority for me. My priority was just being a person of value for my clients and, and doing the best that I absolutely could. And it's, yeah, now it's become what it's become and it's, it's time to grow and scale. And instead of just being a, a fun lifestyle consulting business of, of, you know, solo entrepreneur, it's time to grow and scale this and bring some others along uh, and, mm. and grow them. So it should be a lot of fun. All right, mate. Well, look, I'm going to let you go. You enjoy your evening. Yeah. All right. Thanks, RJ. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.